Yes, so this building is very familiar to me. Uh, I conducted my first wedding here. I conducted my first communion service here. I conducted my first baptism service here. Many, many years ago, starting off as a young assistant, and here I am as a gray-haired, retired minister, uh, uh, just enjoying being in the pew, to be honest, which is, which is great. I'm going to be looking at the book of Malachi and uh, one passage in it, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through to 14. So I'm going to read to you that now. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You have placed defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty." But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And we know God will bless this, his word to our hearts. Amen. Well, now, it's good to be in the pulpit. The one worrisome thing about it is the trapdoor. You might not know this, but there is a trapdoor. And uh, come, I think, somewhere near quarter to 11, I think Mervyn is going to pull the lever. 
and then I'm gone. So short service, and I'll try and keep an eye on that clock that's in front of me there. I, I, I want to come to you this morning not as a minister. Uh, I'm in that category, retired minister. I spend most of my time pre-lockdown sitting in the pew. And so I'm coming to you this morning as a pew sitter, a member of the congregation, trying to understand my own spiritual life at, at this point as we come out of lockdown, but yet life is, is far from normal. Uh, and the normal practices and spiritual disciplines of life have become rather faded. Uh, and the opportunities to, to serve God uh, and fulfill one's calling is somewhat restricted. I want to come to you this morning as someone who sits in the pew and yet at the same time has concerns about how this semi-lockdown is affecting me. And it is affecting me. We have been blessed, S and I, with the Sunday morning services by Marty. They have been challenging. They have been refreshing. They have been the highlight of the week at times as you've tried to keep life busy, but it's all over the place. And as I said, the opportunities to focus on God and to have this spiritual disciplines of service have been taken away. So I was uh, interested when I came to this passage of Scripture and discovered that God said, don't come to church. Now, you've heard me read this. He said, well, no, it actually doesn't say that. Well, it's pretty close. It, it, it says in verse 10, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. You know, the Old Testament is very different from the New Testament. The ways of worship are very different. It was temple worship. There were priests. There were animals to be sacrificed. There was incense to be burnt. And all that went on every day from morning to night. If you were anywhere near the vicinity of the temple, you would have smelt the burning of sacrifices. You would have smelt the incense because God during daylight hours was continually worshipped. And it was a ritualistic worship and we have departed from that and we don't need that in the way it is. But it still was God's people coming together to worship God. This passage of Scripture, God is saying, Oh, I wish somebody would shut the church doors. Well, the church doors have been shut for quite some time, haven't they? We know what it's like to have the church doors shut. But as we return to church, does it challenge us? to look at our lives again and make sure that when we come to worship together, precious that it is, that it is worship like God wants. Way back in my childhood, um, my father used to be a partner in a, a coal delivery business. He was a coal man. 
And he decided to come out of that. And that had quite considerable consequences for us as a family. Uh, we, we lived in a house and we had a sitting room with a fireplace and we had a living room with a fireplace. And even our bedrooms had fireplaces. And while my father was delivering coal and ran his coal business, we just threw the coal on, far in the front room, far in the back room, far in the bedroom if you wanted it. But when that stopped and he was unemployed for six months, things changed somewhat. My mother read in a paper somewhere how to dampen down a fire. Now, here's a tip if things get hard. You get all your potato peelings, you get all your carrot peelings, you get all those outer cabbage leaves, and you wrap them in yesterday's Belfast Telegraph, right? And they're sort of dripping wet sort of thing. And you go to this nice fire with the flames coming up, and you put it on top of it. And I tell you, it dampens the fire. We went from these blazing fires to coming at night time and pulling our chairs closer and closer to the fire. We could see the smoke. We knew there was a fire there somewhere. And we were putting our hands up to the fire to see if we could get some heat from it. And that's what perhaps we think God is like. Like we come to worship God and whatever form the worship is in, whatever much of our heart or little of our heart we put into the worship, well, God should just be pleased to come to the warmth of our worship, even if he has to lean in and put his hands up to it to see if there's any warmth in it at all. Do you think God's like that? Because the reality was that that is the nature of the worship that God said he didn't want. He didn't want half-hearted worship. He didn't want, as it talks about in the New Testament, he didn't want lukewarm worship. He didn't want people turning up to go through the routines and the ritual, but there being no heart in it, no intensity, no focus in it. He wanted to see God's people worship him, him in a full-hearted way. And he said, if you can't do it that way, just shut the doors. Just shut the doors. If you can't come to church really wanting to meet with me and worship me, just keep the doors closed. You see, during lockdown, it's been a struggle not to become lukewarm. And again, I'm talking as someone in the pew. It has been difficult. Many of the things that stimulate us and cause us to, to, to be warm in our faith are just not there. But listen, I'm getting ahead of myself. We need to find out who God is talking to in this passage of Scripture. Maybe he's talking to the world outside. Maybe he's not talking to us who have gathered here this Sunday morning. Maybe it's the people who haven't bothered getting out of bed. Maybe those are the people he's talking to. Well, we see in verse 6 these words. There it is. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, who, O priests, who show contempt for my name. 
Imagine a situation. A teenager says, I love you, Dad, but actually plans to go to a wild party against his father's will. Or he gave his dad a hug an hour earlier, but then stole a five-pound note from his wallet. Or, the, or he said, sure, Dad, I'll give you a hand with the chores, but they never do. In this context, the words that the teenager says are cheap and meaningless. Love is professed by the lips, but not by the life. And I know you're thinking, oh, he's going to give young people a lecture here this morning. But that's not what verse 6 says. What verse 6 says is, if, if you know what it's like to be a son... Or if you know what it's like to be a father, you know the respect that is due to you as a father. If you know what it's like to be a leader, to be a master, then you are aware of the respect that you expect to have as a leader or a master. And God says, if you know these things, if you know as a father the respect due to you, if you know as a leader the respect due to you, then you also know this. You know the respect that you should give to your God. This isn't about servants and masters and sons. It's not about the younger generation. It's about the older generation. The older generation who knows about respect, but yet holds it back from God. That's who God is talking to this morning. At a school, uh, there was the canteen, and the children queued up each day uh, for their food at lunchtime. And as they came in to get their food, there was a bowl of apples, and a teacher had put a sign beside the bowl of apples, take only one apple, God is watching. And then, as they went to the other end of the counter, there was a bowl of lovely chocolate biscuits. And a child had written, take as many as you like. God is watching the apples. (laughs) Now, we know theologically that's wrong. But practically, pragmatically, we sort of live that way, don't we? we? We sort of say... to to ourselves, God's distracted with somebody else. You see that big situation over in Beirut, which is terrible? God's got his focus on there. He's not interested. He's not thinking about me as I weave my way through life and give him less than respect. But that's not true of God. God knows our hearts. He knows the hairs in our head. He knows the thoughts that we think. He knows we're taking two cookies when we should only take one. So this passage of Scripture is speaking to us, the people who come to church. So what's the problem? And God details it specifically. That's how much God watches the cookies as well as the apples. God is able to say in detail what people are bringing to worship. In those days, worship 
was by sacrifice you brought an animal. If you were poor, it might only be a pigeon. But if you had any degree of uh, possessions or farm or whatever, you'd have brought a lamb or a calf. And you'd given that. And everybody knew what you were meant to bring to God. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the lamb that was lame or the calf that was blind. The one that you wanted to get rid of anyway it was the treasured thing that you brought to give sacrifices to God. And that's what was missing out. It was missing out. And the question we need to ask ourselves, what are we holding back? Verse 6 and following, But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name by offering defiled food on my altar? But you ask, how have we defied you by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, when you sac <coughs> sacrifice lame or diseased animals? So there's, there's the sheep that's about to keel over. It's nearly dead. And that's the one you bring. The one to bring to sacrifice to God. Well, how do we translate this for today? Do we just give our leftovers to God? The tired Christian pulls the covers around them, lies their weary head on the pillow, and just before closing their eyes, says hurriedly a few meaningless words of prayer. And that's the only time they've given to God all day. Or coming to church on a Sunday morning, but that's all you're giving that hour and the rest of the week is yours. Or giving God the leftovers when you spend more in sweets or magazines or hairstyle than you give to God. When the price of a television license is considerably more than you give to God in the whole year. And Malachi tells them that they wouldn't present such feeble gifts to their earthly rulers, so why should they give such feeble gifts to God? Worshiping God with the leftovers of our life. That's what God saw back then, and as he said on us. The second thing was weary worship. The first half of verse 13 and you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. Worship should not be a burden nor a bore. It's a terrible thing if we have let it become that. Heartless hymn singing, distracted prayers, Here's a Christian who, although they would never say it out loud, says to themselves how tiresome it is to this daily, oh sorry, weekly duty of coming to church. Here are those who are saying in these days of semi-lockdown that they're weary of the work of the Lord. Have you allowed weariness to creep in to your worship 
Is that because when you come to church, there is less than full focus? That church is not, when you come to worship God, an immersive experience where you give your whole heart and mind to the presence of God in this place. And then verse 14 tells us the third thing that God spotted in the people. He says, Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable uh, male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Malachi spoke of those who promised God much at a time of crisis but failed to deliver it when the time came, saying one thing and doing another. And yes, there are those who carry the name of Jesus lightly. There is malpractices in their business. There are unchristian attitudes in their office conversations. There are reversals of what they proclaim in the way that they actually live their lives. And God sees it and knows it and recognizes that here is a worshiper who has become a hypocrite. Worshiping God with the leftovers, worshiping God with weariness, worshiping God but hypocritically. And God seizes and says, shut the doors. Well, the doors have been shut, but now they're open again. And is our hearts open to God? I have a boat. I'm one of the few people who have been on holiday and left these shores uh, and gone on my boat to the west coast of Scotland. Uh, we, we decided to come back. My, my, my daughter was with us. She was going to get the plane back from Glasgow, but we decided not to take that risk, that instead we would risk uh, an all-night sail uh, from uh, north of Oban uh, through to Belfast. So. Uh, we set sail and, and went through the night. And one of the rules of the sea is that you've got to maintain watch. You, know, you just can't put the boat on autopilot and go down and waken up in the morning. You've got to maintain watch all the night through. We were awake all the night. And then uh, around about, I think it was probably one o'clock, two o'clock in, in the morning, it's pitch, it's pitch black. We were about 10 miles out from Glen Arm, and the, the clouds parted, and the night sky became apparent in all its glory. The night sky that we don't see here in Belfast. There's too many street lights, it's obscured to us. But as we looked up at the sky and were caught up in the wonder of it, all, we were so glad we were awake. If we had been sleeping, we would have missed it. It was wonderful. I will carry the memory of that night sky in my brain until Alzheimer's kicks in. And even then, I'm hoping God will still let me remember that. That night sky was absolutely wonderful. But it was only there for us to see because we were awake. Of course, the word woke is a trendy word these days, isn't it? 
You've got to be woke now if you're a young person. Are you a woke young person? If you're anybody, you're meant to be woke. Do you see those old people? They're not woke. I've not got my head around the grammar of the word woke yet, but anyway, you've got to be woke. And there's a whole list of things that you're meant to be woke to. Climate change. Uh, the whole gender, sexual designation thing. You've got to be woke to that. There's all sorts of things we've got to be woke to. And if you say things that are unwoke, people will tell you off and they'll uh, wag your, your finger at you. You've got to be woke. Away back in the 1800s, there was a great revival. Do you know what they called it? It was in America. The Great Awakening. Long before woke be trendy, Christians had come up with the idea of wakening up. And it was wakening up to God. The Reverend MacLeod went to the Isle of Lewis, took on a church there as a young minister. And he looked around at the people and he said, you know, you are not living the way God wants you to live. I'm not going to hold communion until you do so. Well, talk about putting a match to a fire. The people raged at him and railed at him, but he wouldn't hold communion. And the months passed, no communion. The years passed, no communion. But some people began to pray. It's always three women that begin to pray. If you study revivals at all, it tends to be the women who start to pray. And such was the challenge of being locked out from communion that the people began to change their ways. And in 1824, in the island of Lewis, revival broke out. And the people returned to the Lord. And that revival spread throughout the land. Why? Because the people woke up. Have we been slumbering our way through lockdown? I feel to some degree that describes me. And I need to get back to being awake to God in a way I haven't been. And maybe you too. Now maybe you're here this morning, you haven't come to faith. It's something you're giving it some thought to. And you, you say, well, how many hurdles have I got to jump over? And the answer to that is none. God accepts us as we are. Just as we are, whatever that means. And whoever you are, God accepts you as you are. But he's so desiring for you to enter into this relationship with him, to have a loving relationship with him, to love you, and for you in your heart to love him, that he wants to see in you an awakening. There was a minister long dead. He used to preach in the south of Belfast, Alan Flavel. I remember being at a, 
a, a meeting he conducted, and he said, you know, if you look at the Old Testament heroes, Abraham, Moses, those guys, and if you look at the mistakes in their life, do you know something? Most of them made their biggest mistakes in the older part of their lives. It was in the older part of their lives that they started to grow weary of worship, and that close relationship with God, and God had to pull them back. And maybe that's for me, and maybe for some people that's for you too, that we wake up to God again. Don't give them weary worship, not hypocritical worship, not worship with the leftovers, but just a new falling in love with God again. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a great and a mighty and a loving and a merciful God that our grasp and understanding of you will never be exhausted. We will never, ever come to the end of you. We'll never say, I know all there is to know about God. I have experienced all there is to experience of God. That will never happen. You are infinite and immense, and what we know of you and what we have experienced of you is so little, and there is so much more to explore. And a wonderful adventure is ahead of us if we want it, if we choose it. We can begin this life of adventure by awakening to your presence to your actions, what you have done for us, to your, the constancy of your love towards us. If we waken up to that, we will have a life that is so enriched, so purposeful, so meaningful, so colorful, that it will place joy in our hearts. It will give excitement that will cause the blood in our bodies to pulse because there is no doubt about it, you are a great God. And you promised the people in the book of Malachi. You promised them this, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. The people of Israel thought that God was in a little box, a little box called Judaism, and, and that's where they had him. But God says here, you can't put me in a box. You can't box me in. I'm going to be known throughout the world. There will be people throughout this world who will bow their knee and honor me. They will, they will live sacrifice, sacrificial, worshiping lives. And so, Lord, help us today to be one of those people. And we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. We're going to sing, uh, Yet Not I. of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I the throne. 
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. And can I ask you just to take a seat where you are so that we can dismiss you in an orderly fashion. Also, just a little bit of church family news that I forgot to announce last week. John and Justine, well, Justine and John had their baby. So Rebecca McCracken is her name and she was born a couple of sun. no, a couple of Saturdays, oh, I've got the day wrong, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so just so you know, whenever they come back, there may be a nice little baby among us, and we look forward to welcoming them. But that is our, our most recent church news. 